It was um, 2012, and my family and I were in Cebu in the Philippines living on the missionary ship, the MV Logos Hope. And uh, one day there was an earthquake. Uh, and so we were on the ship at that time, and so we didn't feel any of the tremors. But what happened over the next few hours was that as person after person returned um, and, and uh, yeah, returned back onto the ship, we would hear story after story. And everyone who returned from the mainland back onto the ship had their story. Some were were uh, there in a mall when the earthquake hit. And as you can imagine, they did not know what had happened uh, or how to respond. And so they stood there, you know, in a daze, in the middle of the shop, in the middle of the wall, as shop assistants left their posts, as shop managers abandoned their shops, as shoppers left their handbags and their already purchased shopping. All that mattered was getting outside as fast as, as they could. Then there were other ship's crew who were on the streets of the city. And what they witnessed was crowds and crowds of folks running as fast as they could, all in the same direction. They were running for higher ground. And yes, there was some panic, but it was a purposeful panic. Because what, what the residents of that city knew is that the earthquake was not the only danger. Uh, they knew that there was a chance that a tsunami might be following on afterwards. And so they were heading to high ground as fast as their legs were able to take them there. Now it um, turned out that there was no tsunami and there wasn't any major damage. Uh, but, but what we saw and what we learned is that when there's an earthquake, you head outside and you run for high ground as, as, as fast as you can. And what we realise in moments of crisis like this is that crisis has a crystallising effect. It suddenly makes everything very, very clear. So for the shoppers in that mall, that bag of new purchases that up until one minute earlier had been the most important thing on their mind and, and really important... All of a sudden, it's left there, they, uh, they don't give it any more mind, it's left her on the floor, lying. And that little child that up until 60 seconds before had been driving you up the wall with his incessant whining, and you wished that someone would just magically remove him from you, suddenly all that matters is grabbing his little hand and running out of the building and saving his life. So if you want to know what truly matters to you, find yourself in a crisis and you will find out. Because crisis crystallises our priorities. Crisis crystallises our priorities. So right now you may be thinking that what's all important to you is your career or your retirement savings or your favourite winter sport... You, you might think it's your, your Instagram account, how many followers you have, how many likes. Maybe you think it's your friendship group. You might think it's, it's having that grade or succeeding in that relationship. That's the all-important thing to you. These are, your, these, are the, these are the first things on your list of priorities. But all that can change in a moment, in a second, in a moment of crisis. 
And so we ask ourselves things like, if you knew that your house was about to explode in 60 seconds, what are the two things that you would grab and you would take out? These questions reveal what our priorities are. And it's our priorities that reveal our hearts. And Matthew chapter 6 says this. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, we were challenged to resist fear and to resist, uh, and to resist a sense of maybe complacency regarding end times. And we resist both of these extremes by being ready, by having our hearts right. We also learn that suffering and trial are part and parcel of not only the human experience, but the Christian experience, both on a global scale and on a local scale. We even learned that it has an impact on our homes, even worms its way there into our families. And uh, Jesus said in verse 13 of Mark chapter 13, he said, Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And on that encouraging note, we wrapped up last week's sermon. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And now in Mark chapter 13, verse 14, Jesus says this, When you see... The abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And then Jesus goes on to say in the verses afterwards that if you're on your roof when you see this sign, don't go back inside. Instead, run down your fire escape and get out of there because every second counts. And verse 16 says, if you're working in the field and you see this sign and your favourite Mark's work warehouse coat that you took off earlier because it's hot is over there on the other side of the field, then leave it there and escape ASAP because every second counts. And the thing that should frighten you into action is this thing called the abomination of that causes desolation, which is a funny phrase. And so it makes us ask, well, what is that? And in short, it's a terrible thing that prepares you for something even worse. It's a shocking thing leading to future suffering. It's a shocking thing leading to future suffering. It's a terrible thing happening now that is to prepare you for something even worse. And so if you think back to my example in the Philippines, an earthquake is shocking, but the tsunami that comes next is so much more horrific as many Southeast Asian nations know. And this shocking thing that leads to suffering is actually referenced three times in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, chapter 11, and uh, chapter 12. Now, now, Daniel's prophecy was actually fulfilled in the time between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, when, when Israel was under Greek rule. And in this case... This shocking thing that led to suffering happened at the hands of this guy called Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek ruler who was known as the madman. And the specific evil, this sign in this case, was the sacrifice of an unclean pig on the altar in the temple. That was 
a no-no, and yet it happened. And this was a sign, awful as it was, that worse things were on their, their way. Because later, he, he actually placed a statue of Zeus over the altar of sacrifice in the temple. He then, he, he then said that no one's able to be a Jew, um, no one can be circumcised anymore, and, uh, and he even made human sacrifices on the altar, among other things. So it was a shocking thing that led to future suffering. And so the shocking thing in this case was this pig being killed on the altar, but it was a bad thing that warned of worse things coming. And I think if, if we try to understand what, what that's like, it's, it's hard for, understand, for us to understand what a big deal this was. You know, what's, what's the big deal about a pig being, being killed on the altar? Well, what would happen if we walked in this morning and someone had come in here and this cross you know, had been turned upside down. And, uh, you know, and there was signs of ritual sacrifice here. We would be shocked. We would, th- we would wonder, what on earth happened? Well, that's like what was happening there, but it was even worse. It was even a greater shock. But now in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is saying that this specific thing, this uh, prophecy, will be fulfilled once again, and so we can call it shocking thing version version 2.0, if you want. Shocking thing version 2.0. Now, last last week, if you remember, I talked about how prophecies can be first fulfilled there in the immediate future, but then that first fulfillment becomes a kind of a lens through which you, you look at a future fulfillment. Well, here Jesus is saying that, that that prophecy that was made will be fulfilled again a second time. Another shocking thing that leads to suffering. It's a sign that awful things will, will take place. So as soon as you see this, this is what Jesus is saying in Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 13. As soon as you see this sign, you have to get out of there because it will be bad. He says, even if you just have the clothes on your back, leave. So, shocking thing, 1.0 was the sacrifice of the pig on the altar. Now, shocking thing, 2.0, turns out to be the setting up of Roman standards or flags in the temple. Now, as we already know, as we've heard over the past few weeks, in AD 70, the Romans invaded Palestine just one one generation after the crucifixion of our Lord and Saviour. And so, as soon as the Jews see this evil thing, these, these Roman standards, they're in the temple where they should not be, as verse 14 says. That's the sign that the Jews have to get out of there. This is a bad sign that worse things are on their way. And then there's this little phrase in verse 14, let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Now, why is this here? What does it mean? Well, one writer makes the point is that Mark was writing to Christians suffering in Rome. Okay, remember that, yeah? Uh, Suffering under Nero, so this is later on. And so Mark would have been really careful in the words which he uses, not wanting, you know, the authorities to know that he's referencing the Romans in what he's writing. And so he would have been really cryptic, hence he, he says this phrase, let the reader understand. And so really he's, he's, he's saying, you know what I mean, 
That, you, know, you know that shocking thing that happened years ago with the pig sacrifice? Well, it's happening again. And so, thanks to Jesus' word of warning here in Mark chapter 13, many, many early Christians saw these Roman standards there in the place that they should not be, um, and then they ran out of the city and they saved their life. Because what happened after that, remember, it's a shocking thing that leads to suffering, um, but what happened after that, there was famine, loads of people got sick, people started eating, eat, eating humans... Um, there were zealots who were this faction uh, who actually killed many Jews in the temple itself. Um, And then one writer of the time says that the Romans crucified so many Jews that they ran, ran out of the trees that they needed to make the crosses. So we can understand that indeed it was a shocking thing leading to suffering. And then verse 17 and 18, look ahead. And they, picture, they paint a picture of how awful this, this season will be. So the most needy and the most maybe vulnerable, they, they will be the ones who suffer. So it's, it's the new mums and the pregnant women. Because they, they can't run, work, run very fast. And whereas, you know, single people and men might just leg it out of there well you know the mums are going to be wondering where are my kids right and so uh so which 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 would probably have ended in their losing their lives so it's it's really grim really grim and then verse 18 says let's pray that this does not take place in the winter when the weather was really bad when the rivers uh were flooded and those um uh Wadis that they would use to escape um, were actually flooded, and so there was no way of, of escaping. These were serious times. And then Jesus continues in verse 19. He says, Those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And this phrase leads scholars to think that now Jesus is looking ahead to another fulfillment, a shocking thing, version 3.0, a third fulfillment of the prophecy back in Daniel. The first shocking thing was the slaughter of the pigs in 167 BC. The second shocking thing was the invasion of the temple by General Titus in AD 70. And both of these were signs of huge suffering for the people of God. And yet now we're looking ahead potentially at a third shocking thing, version 3.0. Now, of course, we all have many questions about what happens at the end of this world, right? What will they look like? Will the faithful be raptured? And when will they be raptured? And what about those who are left behind? Now, I don't have time, you know, you know to go into all that here, here today. And in fact, if I'm honest, it's not the number one thing on my list of really trying to understand. Uh, and so I wouldn't know enough about it necessarily yet to, uh, to speak authoritatively on it. But here's... My, my conviction. It's much more, more important that we are living faithfully in the victory of Christ now than we waste time trying to work out when the end's going to be. Um, but here are some clues which we see about the end times. Verse uh, 20 says that God will, will sovereignly limit 
those days of suffering so that not all of the faithful are wiped out. So we're not looking at, at an extinction event. God will keep a remnant and a witness here on earth. And then you move on to the next verse, which says that, that, that like we heard about last week, that there will be false messiahs and that even those you know, God's chosen, God's own people run the risk of being fooled by these. And so we resist being fooled by these false messiahs by being on guard. But, you know, just like you're in the middle of a storm and the clouds are there and then they move and then the sunshine starts shining, we know that Jesus is on his way. Friday is here, but Sunday is on its way. There is absolutely glorious hope and so we read in verse uh, 24 that that there will be like a blackout uh, with the sun and the moon that's a sign that Jesus is on his way and then stars or meteorites will fall this universe will be shaken and it's that kind of shuddering that happens when someone opens massive doors you know that it's that shaking that happens and then the arrival of the son of man jesus comes and then verse uh, 26 says that he will come in great power and glory and he will send his angels his messengers and he will call in his chosen his faithful followers from all of the ends of the earth and in heaven and so that is the moment when for the first time god's entire family will all be there in one one place at the same time like a glorious reunion and then in verse uh, 28 he says to watch these signs because just like a tree in bud signifies the end of winter and the start of spring or summer so in verse uh, uh, 29 he says when you see these things happening you know that it is near right at the door okay So what that means is that there are signs. And so just as the shocking thing leads to suffering, so so these these interstellar signs lead to this grand uniting of heaven and earth, the end of this age and the start of the new one. And then in verse 30, Jesus says this, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, Jesus isn't talking about those people who were living then, because if he was then, he would be wrong, because they are dead and the end hasn't happened yet. So he's obviously referring to something else. And so the most likely understanding of this is that he's, he's referring to yeah, the generation who are there to see the, to see the start of the signs, they will be there to see the end of the process too, which means that even though you know, the birth pains are long and they hurt, that when the time for the, for the new birth of the new heavens and the new earth comes, it will be quick, maybe no longer than a generation. In fact, one, one writer says it may be less than uh, maybe 10 years. And then Jesus reassures us of the trustworthiness of his words um, in verse, verse 31. He says, heaven and earth will, will, will pass away, uh, but my words will never pass away. And so all that we see, all that we experience right now will be, will be burnt up. There will be nothing left. But the only thing that will stand are Jesus' words. And everyone who's placed their trust in his, his, his words, they will last 
through that as well, through, through, through that great burning up. And then Jesus says, but don't fixate, you know, on the timetable, on the when. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Which, if you've been listening, it seems that that maybe contradicts uh, verse number 29, which says, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. But I don't think that it really is a contradiction because verse 31 is the verse for us now today. Our job is not to fixate on the when. Our job is to, be, is to live faithful lives so that when the time comes, we will be ready. And when, that, when the time comes and when we see that shocking thing that leads to suffering, version 3.0, then we know that the ends are on the corner. And, and the really great news about this is that that means that Jesus is returning. He will be coming back. And that's why we're told in verse 33 to be on our guards, to be alert, to, to, to have our minds and our focus and our radars switched on. Verse 34 tells us that we are stewards of what God has left us, that we are servants left in charge. That's it. We are not the owners or the masters. We are the servants left in charge. So let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we are the ones in charge, that that, uh, we are the masters of our own fate, that we are the rulers of our lives. That's not what we read in the Bible. What we read in the Bible is that we are servants who are left in charge of, and what we're left in charge of is the things, the things of our master. And one day that owner will be returning and he will be asking us, how did things go while I was away? And verse 34 says to us that each of us has an assigned task. And so I wonder, as you look at your life, what is your, your, your task from God himself that he has said to you, this is your responsibility your responsibility. Most likely, it's something that you are doing now. You know, that's most likely it. You know, it, you know that there's a really good chance that what God has called you to, that, you know, that that assignment, you are doing now. So maybe it's your work and the family, your neighbours, you know, who knows? But, the, but it's likely that you are doing it now. And so my, my encouragement to you is to renew your commitment to live for him and not for yourself. But maybe it's something that you feel that God has been moving you towards, but you've been resisting him, um, you know, because it's scary. And so if that is the case, if this task that God's trying to move you towards, that he will be holding you accountable for and you've not yet actually done it if that's you then you have to stop resisting him and you have to trust him that 
He will give you the might and the power, you know, and the wherewithal to fulfill the task that he's, he's assigned to you. Because isn't that amazing that God has assigned you a task, that he's looked at you, he's looked at it, and he said, this one has your name on it. You can do this. And what we learn from here is that this task is clear and it's measurable. And this means that you can fulfill your, your task, your assignment. But it also means that, that you can fail to fulfill it. Which means that some of us will, will be praised and some of us won't be. And it all depends on whether we've fulfilled our duties or failed in our duties. And so, what's the difference between a praised servant and a punished servant? Verse 36 shows us whether the owner finds them asleep or awake when he returns. So, you know, do you know what your assignment is? That this reason why God has you here on earth Will he find you awake and attentive when he returns, or will he find you asleep on the job? It's in moments of crisis that we find out what really matters to us. We, we grab the most important things to us. Crisis crystallizes our priorities. But crisis times for Christians generally aren't, you know, the problem which is why I say our greatest threat isn't suffering, it's actually sleeping. Because it's during the times of peace and ease that our priorities become less clear and more muddy. It's, it's not so clear what's important in times of rest. And it's in moments like this that we can fall asleep on the job. We can fall asleep there in the light. Our main problem isn't this shocking thing that leads to suffering. Our main problem is our sluggishness that leads to our sleeping. And so I want all of us, myself included, that we would be challenged by our assignment that is, in, that is not finished. That we would be really convicted by our task, which we still have to fulfill. You know, really... What I want us to do is to assess our wakefulness because it's easy for us to fall asleep. I want us, you know, to pinch ourselves so that we're alert and ready for the return of the king. Because when Jesus returns, what I want is, is, is for him to find me ready. I want him to find you ready. I want him to find us as a church, as a local church ready. I want us, him, him to find us when he returns, excitedly await, awaiting his return and engaged in the tasks that he has called us to. And so I'd like to close with reading two scriptures. The first one is Ephesians chapter four, uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse fourteen through seventeen. And may God speak to you through His Word. Write this down, Ephesians chapter five, fourteen through seventeen, and it says this: Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, therefore, do not be foolish. That's one option is to be foolish. But the other option is to understand what the Lord's will is. That's Ephesians 5, 14 through 17. Now I would like to read to you Romans chapter 14, verse 11, which says this. The hour has already come for you to wake up from, from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the, the, the armor of light. And if you're wearing armor, you're, you're not sitting down on the couch eating popcorn and watching Netflix. You are ready for, you are ready for action. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. That's one choice. But let's not choose that. Instead, let's lay those aside and let's put on the, the armor of light. Now I want to uh, leave us with a song. And as you listen to it, I want you to be conscious and asking God, what is it that you want me to lay aside? Ask how God is calling you to wake up. Ask how God is calling you, you know, to wear this, this, this armour of light. Ask yourself, am I ready for his return? Am I doing what he's called me to? Am I doing what he has placed me sovereignly on earth for? Or am I asleep in the light? Do you see, do you see All the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts, no one even sheds one tear But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds And he cares for your needs And you just lay back and keep soaking it Keep going.